The Anton Savage Show with Nifty Business on News Talk. It is the Anton Savage Show. That voice you hear in the background is Alva Smith, who's enthusiastically getting involved in the stories. Before we're even into it, Alva, <laughs> hold, hang on for a second. That is Alva Smith, the campaigner. Uh, Hugh O'Connell is also with us, far more restrained. He's the deputy political editor at the Irish Independent. We have much to discuss this morning. Uh, Mark Milley, the former joint, uh, the retiring chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, taking a dig at Donald Trump. We assume we're inferring that it's a dig at Donald Trump. Um, Errol Musk having a dig at Elon Musk in the papers. Um, issues to do with Catholic schools and whether or not they should be made non-denominational. But where we start is with RTE hemorrhaging cash, Hugh. A load of people not paying their licence fee and a load of more saying they plan not to pay their licence fee. Yeah, so this is the latest uh, Ipsos MRBI poll for the Irish Times, which shows um, 40% will not pay their TV licence. So when you break that down, it's... um, 13% 13% said they will probably not pay, 16% say they will definitely not pay, and 11% said they never pay, while 9% inferred are offered no opinion. And just over 51% say they, they would um, they would pay or indicated they would pay. So um, that is indicative of a big swing in public opinion against Orsi over the summer as a result of all of the financial uh, ongoings at the, at the station. Uh, and is a big problem uh, for Orti in terms of its future. And obviously this is something that's been uh, closely watched um, ahead of the budget. In Now, uh, what's, what do you think of the chances of this weeks? coming to fruition? Because um, I don't, I can't remember if it was a Tyson or Muhammad Ali, but one of them had the phrase that everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Everybody yeah. has an intention not to pay their TV licence until the first couple of people <laughs> get convictions and then that sharpens yeah, the Yeah, that would, I mean, uh, certainly a, a story or stories that are coming from the courts of convictions and people, um, you know, going to jail or, or having to pay exorbitant fines um, would uh, perhaps soften people's cough a little bit. But, um, you know, there's only, I think, 30-odd inspectors in the entire country. I mean, I've encountered one TV licence inspector in my entire life, and I do pay the TV licence, just to add. Yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, did they come to your door? They actually came to my yes. door when I was moving house, and I said, well, I don't live here anymore, or I'm just, I'm about to not live here anymore, and they were giving me uh, information about how to transfer my address and stuff like that. I bet but, you were uh, delighted. So, yeah. do they do they open by asking if you've got a TV, or do they start with the assumption? I can't, I can't remember. I mean, uh, I, no, no, I, I'll be uh, honest. Well, I mean, I but this guy wasn't, I mean, I didn't find, like, I remember those old TV ads where it was like, you know, the knock on the door and the TV license back. It was also kind of scary. <laughs> like, this guy was fairly innocuous, you know, he was kind of milling around the neighbourhood, knocking on doors. A lot of people weren't in. It was during the daytime. A lot of people were out at work. So it was all kind of strange. But I think that's indicative of a system that, that allows for evasion. We have one of the highest evasion rates in, in Europe, as Orti repeatedly pointed out. We have an even higher rate now as a result of all of this. And I do think an awful lot of people, I mean, I've encountered an awful lot of people all summer uh, who have said, nah, look, I'm not paying that TV licence. Well, I, I, mean, I, I can't I, be bothered. I think what would have been interesting to include in the poll, and maybe it, it was, but we, we don't see it, is do people think there should be an alternative mechanism for funding mm. RTE? Yeah. And I mean, I think that really is the key question there now, because I I do pay my um, I do pay my license fee. I was asked once about it um, because contrary pro- probably to public perception, I'm very obedient about things like parking fines and all that kind of because I'm terrified. I wouldn't want to be caught. But I, at the same time, I really think that we do need to look at alternative funding mechanisms. Yeah. I understand why people are saying they won't pay. I think myself that's a very dangerous situation because 
Um, there are many, many, many people who work in RTE. There are many other jobs and companies who are mm. dependent on the work that RTE provides. And it will have a knock-on effect on those people because it is not the higher salaries that will get significantly lowered. They will actually stop recruiting or... Yeah, exactly, or be part of a major redundancy programme. You know, and that's the bit I I worry about very intensely. But I do understand people saying, oh, for heaven's sake. But there is just one other point there, Anton, that people, I think, care, don't care all that much in some ways about RT because they're getting their their news and their entertainment from so many other potential and actual sources. Mm. So they're thinking, well, if RT comes or goes, actually, will it radically change my life? That that would be reflected in in one question they did ask, which is, do you think the government should help fund RT or do you think RT should cut its costs in line with its loss of revenue? Yeah. And 78% of people say that RT should cut its costs. Exactly. But I don't think any of those people or a lot of those people are thinking about the actual impact of that in terms of Ortiz's provision of public service broadcasting and what it would mean in terms of sports coverage in particular, which is so popular, like the Rugby World Cup at the moment. You know, they might not be able to do things like that in the future if they were to cut its costs in line with the loss of revenue. So there'd be an awful lot of things that people are used to Ortiz doing that they wouldn't be able to do. Um, and I think that has to factor but into that, people's but, thinking but, when we talk about the future. But that doesn't contradict my point, point, that people now no. have so many different yeah. sources that they're not so absolutely 100% dependent on RT. Because, no. I mean, I grew up in a household where we were completely dependent on what happened on Radio Air. Yeah. Because ah, it, well, steady. Now, hang on for a minute. <laughs> you grew up in a situation where you may have had Radio Air as the main broadcaster of choice, but you had the Evening Press, you had the Evening Herald, oh, you oh, had well, the Irish Independent, you had the Irish... But they are sources of media no, in no, the same absolutely. way as TikTok and I, Facebook and I all the rest sh- of it. I should say I was really thinking about broadcast and those broadcast media but now the fact that social media provides sometimes uh, very ineffectually I have to say and and often thinking about Elon Musk in a, in a very questionable manner but people do derive their information from social media platforms now as well as as Can I ask a question in this? Because maybe I am too cynical, but there is all of this discussion about reform required for RTE and for the new method of funding. We know where we're going to end up. The government is going to just pay it in some form of media charge Mm -hmm. and that'll be the end of it. What is the reform? What is the reform? There's this general consensus that quotes reform. What reform? What exactly is it that we want RTE to do with itself? Well, I think what people actually want is for those who run RTE and for presenters not to get the kinds of salaries that are absolutely mouth and eye watering and all that sort of thing. And that nobody, nobody normal and ordinary and everyday has ever got a hope of earning that much money. So people get very annoyed about that now and they're absolutely right. So is that the reform? Cutting salaries? That's the lot of you. I think it's part of it, yeah. But it's also things like, you know, making RT smaller, potentially selling off things like 2FM, potentially, um, I don't know, downsizing its, its, its operations, potentially moving out of Montrose, selling off parts of Montrose. But to what? So all no, that but kind I of don't think that's new, in people's new, heads. It's, well, it's the new register of interest, for example, which they're going to publish where people, the presenters and other staff, senior mm. staff in RT will have to, you know, make available their, their interests in terms of other outside work they might do and all that kind of thing. So that's kind of what what we're talking about. But you're right, we haven't we've heard a lot of talk about reform. We haven't heard a lot in terms of like practical things that are going to be done beyond the, the few of the things I mentioned there. So like in, in fairness, I think Kevin Backhurst is coming forward with this big plan uh next month in fact and possibly in the next week or two uh, perhaps in advance of the budget with 
a you know concrete or what we are told will be concrete proposals around how RT will look into the future. Interesting I would on the, love on to see them, you know, doing more creative kind of programs and mm. doing something interesting and a bit imaginative. I would love to see something a little bit experimental occasionally. I mean, it, in a way, I think one of the things that it, that really needs to happen is to unstale RT. It's got really kind of very stale, and we're used to hearing the same sorts sorts mm. of voices. It's not g- going for anybody in particular, the same ways of talking about things. It needs a huge big jig up um, if if you're really talking about reform. But reform that's in people's heads, I think, has to do with fat cat salaries primarily. Tech saying in relation to the, um, what do you call it, the licence fee. Anton, it was the postman that caught me. He asked my name. I gave it. He gave me two weeks to pay or a fine would be issued. I didn't think your postman would sell you. No. I'm very surprised. Sounds like a rogue postman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You mentioned um, Elon Musk. Uh, I want to talk briefly about this because there is, Elon Musk has long maintained that he effectively grew up on the clippings of tin. And that he made his way to a scholarship to the US and he slept on, oh, he dreamed of having a couch. He had to sleep on the floor and he rubbed gravel in his hair because he couldn't afford lunch and all that kind of crack. His father has just done an interview with the um, Daily Mail, which says, in essence, he was loaded. He went to school in a Rolls Royce Corniche. I flew him around in a private jet. He basically slept on a bed of emeralds and cash. Oh, well, it's very difficult to know uh Truth is is a word which really doesn't seem to have particular relevance. <laughs> the pictures of the Rolls Royce look pretty real. <laughs> yes, but I mean, I, I I I think it's reasonable to assume that he had materially a childhood which was by no means as deprived as the one he has. Uh, Elon Musk has described. Whether or not we entirely believe his his dad is another day's work. I mean, you know, I was very struck in this, this piece um, where the, the journalist of the interviewer actually says that Elon Musk quoting, quoting I think, from the, the biography, that, that he has called his father pure evil. And he said that he grew up um, in pain, that that was what he learned about, that it was absolute mental torture. And that's the whole dimension of it that really strikes me, that whether there was a lot of money, material wealth, whatever there or not, in a way, isn't really the question. The question is that Elon Musk... Uh, certainly believes and feels that he grew up with an incredibly difficult parent. Parent, I mean, parent doesn't seem to be the right word for a dad who brings you to a sex party when you're age nine. Um, now, in his defence, he said that he made him stay in the library during the sex party. Yeah, well, he didn't leave the party. He didn't quite... He, he, Sorry, I shouldn't be facetious about that. It's awful. It like, it's awful. awful. It I is. mean, I give it as an example because quite clearly... Uh, you know, Musk, Elon Musk definitely had a very difficult family life. I think his parents had divorced. That happens to lots of kids. But this didn't work out very smoothly and in a very stable way. And you could say that explains a lot about Elon Musk. I'm not sure that anything can well, explain Elon Musk. I mean, it, it, it is evident, Hugh, in reading, not the, the interpretation of the journalist, but just reading Errol Musk's own mm. words, that mm. this is a man who believes that machismo is an alternative to affection and to intimacy with your child. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think you, you, you kind of learn a lot about Elon through his and, and perhaps why the way he is, um, at least publicly facing, um, by by reading this interview with his father, because, it, you know, his father is, is clearly uh, a man who sees the world in a way that's very different to uh, 
perhaps what a lot of people would be used to and what a lot of, a lot of people think fatherhood should be. I think uh, that's it, pushing it very mildly yeah, there now. Well, I'm trying he, to be diplomatic, you know. <laughs> he, he stopped counting when he got to 200 women he had slept with. Yeah. That, you know, that, yeah. that's and, pretty well, look, I mean, I well, hang on, can I add one to that? And, and most recently, according to this, yeah. has had two children with his own stepdaughter. That's right. Oh, yeah. I think this is... Yeah. Uh, you, uh, like, as God made them, he matched them. Mm. Well, we, we we are looking at a seriously disturbed environment here. Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's not very nice either that it's all no. playing out in public. But uh, I do admire from a journalistic perspective the male's uh, habit of being able to draw out the parents of high profile, indivi- controversial but, individuals. But what was in my head, I have to say, I, yeah. I know we do want to understand Musk and what mm. drives him, what motivates mm-hmm. him, why he is the kind of man he is and so mm. on, if we can even describe that. But I was saying to myself, do we really need to have all of this quite salacious material here in front of us? I, I really, I well, really I mean, don't I get think, what drives where, where, you know, there's a book on Elon Musk by Walter Isaacson, a very famous uh, mm-hmm. and, and lauded biographer, um, and he said things about his father which are clearly not very nice. And his father deserves yes, yes. the right of reply. Pure and I guess, evil is definitely yeah, not Pure evil nice. is not, not a nice And he is the world's nigh-on richest man yeah. and most influential. And now, so I, I think, you know, it, it, giving Errol Musk an opportunity to hit back at that is, is, is I suppose, fair. But, but, also, but, but I suppose then you get into the space of, well, what he's saying is, is kind of wild. You know? can, I, can I raise a text to get your view on it? It's a text that says, stop the constant railing on Elon Musk. He's a genius and has done more for climate change than any single person in the world. He ordered Tesla to release their electric car patents to the world to assure electric vehicles would be easier to build. What other business would do that ever? Now, the last sentence is the one that I'm intrigued by. He's a man who is a force for good and the negativity is tiring. Oh, my God. You know, just because you invent the electric car doesn't necessarily mean you are a force for good in the world. Look at look at Twitter or what we now have to call it X, X stupid yeah. X name. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter has... Well, it's X, the, we the name of his son it. as well, which Errol remarks is a bit weird. I think he, he says you it. Know, oh, yeah, the son's name. What was it? He had, what I wouldn't we, we dispute knew about... is the man, he, he is in many ways a genius. I do think that. I think he is absolutely extraordinary. Objectively. But that doesn't mean that he he is in the world to do good, because I don't think that's necessarily his view of the world either. Final, by the way, sorry, just on the name of the kids. Do you have in the article there, Hugh, what he named the other child? Because we know that he called one of them ex-Archangel. Um, named after that CIA plane but the name of the other child was in there as well Ooh. and it is equally strange and I can't um, remember I can't that. find it we'll so. dig it out I'll bring it to you after the break now <laughs> final thing before I let you go um, uh, Donald Trump former US President Don, Donald Trump now running for um, the Republican nomination uh, finally he has been holed be- below the waterline because no one's political career could survive having the Joint Chiefs of Staff take a dig <gasps> at you and call you a wannabe dictator here's what the retiring General Milley had to say We are unique among the world's armies. We are unique among the world's militaries. We don't take an oath to a country. We don't take an oath to a tribe. We don't take an oath to a religion. We don't take an oath to a king or a queen or a tyrant or a dictator. And we don't take an oath to a wannabe dictator. Now, there was a time, you, when if the general of who was the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said that about a presidential candidate, you would know that is not only the end of his political career, mm. that is the end of everything. <laughs> I assume we add this to the list of stuff that won't impact on Trump at all? No, absolutely not. And I mean, I think it's, it's, it's indicative of the way in which US politics has, has um, 
you know, I suppose lowered itself over the last five, six, seven years that um, this is hardly headline news. I mean, it's an interesting comment that he's made, but it, it's the latest in a string of, of barbs, I think, that Millie has aimed at Donald Trump since since Trump left office. And since Millie, I think, you know, regrets uh, the fact that he, I think, he accompanied Trump um, outside um the U.S. Capitol in the wake of of um, the Floyd, um, yeah, the pro- the protests outside yeah. the um, uh, outside the White House, so in, in Washington D.C. So, I mean, I think this is, um, you know, it's 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 really, you know, it's it's an establishment figure in Mark Milley trying to, I suppose, show that the structures of the United States and the Constitution of the United States still matter, notwithstanding the fact there there is a presidential mm-hmm. candidate who wants to tear all that up or or has given every indication that he wants to tear all that up. I have some updates. The names of the children that we know of, because I think he has 10 kids in total, the three in question. There's the uh, Thank you. There's Archangel Alpha, whatever, named after the CIA plane. There's Exadark Sidereal Musk and there's Technomechanicus Musk. I'm not making this up. These are the actual names. <laughs> Guys, a pleasure as always. Alva Smith, campaigner, Hugh O'Connell, deputy political editor at the Irish Independent. The Anton Savage Show with Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.